0: I want you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. For the last five weeks, we've been examining the evidence to see whether Jesus is the Son of God. Because that's what he claimed. He claimed to be the Son of God. When when he was standing before the religious leaders, he was on trial. The high priest asked him, are you the Son of God? And Jesus said, yes, yes. I am. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But just because Jesus claimed to be the son of God and just because his disciples said that he was the son of God doesn't make him the son of God. So what is there that gives evidence to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, the first thing that we saw, the first piece of evidence that we looked at is that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Jesus has lived forever and ever. Jesus has no beginning point. Every other thing and every other person who exists has a beginning point, a starting point, but not Jesus. Jesus has always been and Jesus always will be. Jesus is the one who began it all. So Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And then we discover that Jesus is the sinless Son of God. Now, each of us have sinned. We've blown it. We've messed up. We've failed. We've fallen short of God's standards, but not Jesus. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way, just like us, except he was without sin. Jesus never sinned. Last week we discovered that Jesus is the powerful son of God and, and we discovered that Jesus has power over anything and Jesus has power over everything. He has power over nature and the storms of our lives. He has power over demons and whatever it is that chains us. He has power over sickness and he has power over death and and he has power over sin. But this morning, what I want us to focus on is that Jesus is the crucified Son of God. Now, you may say, how does that prove that He is the Son of God? Because the fact of the matter is, many people were crucified in Jesus' day. So, what was it about Jesus' crucifixion that gave evidence to the fact that He was indeed the Son of God? Well, this morning, we're going to look at, at an event that took place at the end of Jesus' crucifixion that that I believe shows us who Jesus is. There was a centurion and and the men with him who were guarding Jesus. and, And as Jesus died, this centurion said, Surely, without a doubt, this man is the Son of God. You see, something happened in that crucifixion that convinced this man that Jesus was the Son of God. And so I want us to look at at all three instances in, in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of this story, and then I want us to see what it says to us this morning. So let's read it together. First of all, beginning in Matthew 27, verse 54. Listen to what it says. This is at the end of Jesus' life. He has died. And in verse 54, it says, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus. Now, that's important. Those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, and all that had happened, they were terrified, and they exclaimed, Surely, he was the Son of God. Now, listen to how Mark describes this in Mark 15, verse 39. In that verse, it says, And and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry, And saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Now listen to how Luke describes this event. In Luke 23, verse 47, it says this, The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When he saw the earthquake and the events that took place, He said, surely this was the Son of God. When he saw how he died, he said, surely this was the Son of God. When he heard him on the cross, he said, this was a righteous man. And so let's unpack this story for just a minute and look at three things if we can. First of all, I want us to look at the soldiers. Matthew says it this way, when the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus... Now, a centurion would have been like a first sergeant or a sergeant major today. He would have had command over 80 to 100 men. Typically, these men were battle-tested, war-hardened men who had earned the respect of those who were over them and those who were under them. He was the kind of man that, that you would want in your corner if you were facing trouble. He was the kind of man who who knew how to handle any problem that came up. Now, we're not sure, but most likely this centurion and and the guards with him were pagans. They were irreligious men. If they weren't pagan, irreligious men, they were worshiping the Roman gods. So they were still pagans. They were just religious. Now, this centurion was, was most likely part of Pilate's personal guard. That means that he followed Pilate everywhere he went. And he was given a unique responsibility on this particular day. He and his men were to guard or to watch over Jesus as Jesus was going throughout his crucifixion. Now this responsibility probably began when Jesus first appeared before Pilate. And so here was the centurion standing with Pilate as Jesus was on trial before Pilate. And and as he went through this crucifixion day, this centurion and his men were chosen to watch over Jesus. And so they would have been there as, as Jesus would have said that he was the king of the Jews. It was most likely this centurion and his guards who watched over the flogging of Jesus. It was these Guards, these, these Roman soldiers, this centurion who, who blindfolded Jesus, who put the purple robe on Jesus, who put the crown of thorns on his hand and, and mocked him and, and made fun of him. It was this centurion and, and, and these men who, who walked with Jesus as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem up the hill of Golgotha. It was this centurion and these Roman soldiers that would have nailed Jesus to the cross. It was these soldiers, this centurion, who would have gambled for the robe of Jesus. These soldiers and this centurion would have been there when it turned dark for those three hours, that eerie darkness that covered the land. They would have felt the earthquake as it shook the land. And they heard the words of Jesus as he was on the cross. Words like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Words like, Father, why have you forsaken me? Words like, into your hands I commend my spirit. Words like, it is finished. The centurion and, and those with him were there from start to finish. And as they observed Jesus, the way that he died what he went through, what he said, something happened in their heart. Something happened in their mind to the point that when Jesus died, they said this had to be the Son of God. So first of all, we see these soldiers, pagan, irreligious, battle-worn, hardened men who had no respect for a man like Jesus. But something happened ...that changed their mind. Now let's look at the sequence of events. First of all, they would have been there. As Pilate would have asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And they would have heard Jesus say, yes, I am. Now I imagine when when they heard Jesus say that, they thought that he was absolutely crazy. They must have thought he was an insane man to say that he was the king of the Jews, but they heard it. They saw Jesus and they, they saw Barabbas up there and they heard the crowds yell, crucify Jesus. And so Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be flogged. Flogging was a part of any crucifixion. They would, they would take the prisoner and, and they would tie or chain his hands to a post. They would strip him naked And then they would have a a, a whip, a a short whip that usually had three or four strands of leather on it. And it was connected by a handle. And in each strand of leather, there would be woven in pieces of bone and metal and rock. And they would take that, that whip and they would beat the prisoner without mercy. At times we hear that that a Jewish flogging is 40 lashes save one, 39 lashes. But this wasn't a Jewish flogging, this was a Roman flogging. In other words, they could have beat Jesus for as long as they wanted to. As he was beaten with that whip. Every time he was hit, it would expose his back even more. The flesh would be peeling from his back and and his bones would be exposed. And in many instances, the internal organs would be exposed. Most often, the person who was being flogged went into shock because of their loss of blood. And here was Jesus and he was being flogged without mercy. And it was the centurion and his guards that did it. And they watched Jesus as he was on that post. Being whipped without mercy. And then they took him down and they humiliated him. They blindfolded him. They put a, a, a purple robe on him to, to show that he was a king. They they took a crown of thorns and they thrust it upon his head. You can imagine how that felt. And then they began to make fun of him. They would hit him and they would beat him. And they would say, who hit you this time, king king? ...of the Jews. And it was the centurion and his guards that were doing this. And then they took a crossbeam... ...the the crossbeam on which he would be crucified... ...and and they put it on his broken back. And he had to carry this crossbeam... ...through the city to the place of crucifixion. That crossbeam typically weighed between 130 and 150 pounds... Here was a man who was already beaten half to death. His back, his legs, his buttocks would have been um, broken up. The flesh would have been exposed. And here he is carrying that wooden beam. And all the way, the crowds are mocking him, jeering him, shouting profanity at him. And he didn't say a word. And the guards and the centurion. Were with them when they got up that hill to Golgotha, and it's a hill. the The name Golgotha means place of the skull, and, and if you've ever been there, you know that that hill, as you look at it from a distance, it it looks eerily like a skull. You see, you see two eyes, you see a place for a nose, you see a place for a mouth. It looks like a skull, and and Jesus would have had to take that cross beam up that hill, and then he was placed. On that cross beam. And five to six inch. Razor sharp nails. Were thrust into his wrist. They weren't thrust into his hands. If it had been thrust into his hands. The, the flesh would have just torn apart. But they thru- put it in his wrist. So that it would hold. And, and, and as it went into his wrist. It went into the largest nerve. Going from the arm. To the hand. Can you imagine how that felt. When. When that razor-sharp nail pierced that nerve, the excruciating pain that never stopped. And then they put him on the cross with his feet and they bent his feet like this and they nailed his feet to the cross in a position something similar to this. And then they put him up on that cross and here he is, and he's, he's like this on the cross. And you need to understand something. Because of the way that he was on the cross, he couldn't breathe. His diaphragm was closed. And, and so to breathe, he had to pick himself up so he could inhale. And he had to put himself down so he could exhale. And, and for the entire time he's on the cross... He's picking himself up and putting himself down so that he can breathe. And and you need to understand that every time he is doing that, his back is rubbing against that wooden cross. Jesus was in excruciating pain. and, And it was the centurion that put him there. The Bible says, all of a sudden, a thick darkness came upon the land. That was unusual. You can say it's an eclipse, but I believe it was more than an eclipse. I I believe it was total, absolute darkness. You say, Rocky, what does that three hours of darkness mean? Well, we don't know, but here's what I believe. I believe that that darkness was the sin of all humanity being poured upon Jesus. And for three hours... There was total darkness. And here was the centurion and here were the guards and and they were there as that was taking place. And still during this time, people were walking by and they were shouting profanities and they were mocking Jesus. And and the, the thieves that were crucified on both sides of him were initially mocking him. Finally, one of the thieves realized that That Jesus was no ordinary man. Something happened to this thief. And he spoke to the other thief. And he said, we deserve what we're getting. But this man, he doesn't deserve this. And and the thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said that to Jesus. And Jesus said today, you will be with me in paradise. And the centurion, he heard this. He he saw Jesus look at that thief and and give him that promise. And, And then... Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And, and I don't know. We don't know. But, but I cannot but believe that as Jesus said that, he looked at that centurion. He, he looked at those guards that were gambling for his robe, his piece of clothing. Those guards that nailed him to the cross. Those guards that mocked him. And he said, Father, forgive them. And I, and I don't know, but, but I believe... That that pierced that centurion's heart. Jesus said other things. He he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And and I believe that is telling us that at that moment, when Jesus took the sins of the world upon him, the father literally had to turn his back on the son because he had the sins of all humanity on him. And the centurion saw this. And then the centurion heard him say, Into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he said, It is finished. And and the word that Jesus used, it is finished, wasn't a word to describe defeat. It was a word to describe it's over, it's finished, I've done it. And Jesus died. And the Bible tells us that as he died... An earthquake that was so great that it opened up graves. It 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 um, split the the curtain in the tomb from top to bottom or the curtain in the the temple from top to bottom. It was a terrible earthquake came, and and that's when this man said, Surely, this is the Son of God. That's the sequence of events. But the next thing I want you to see is this, and that is the salvation that occurred. And, And notice what it says in verse 54 of chapter 27 they were terrified they exclaimed surely he was the son of god now i want you to understand something here the centurion and the guards were not just making an observation that this was the son of god they were proclaiming their faith you say rocky how do you know that I know that for several reasons. First of all, notice what it says here. It says they were terrified. That's a word that describes conviction. It's the word that was used to describe the disciples when they saw Jesus walking on water. When they saw Jesus walking on water, they were terrified. It is the word that was used to describe the disciples when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the father spoke down and said, this is my son, listen to him. And the Bible says they were terrified. It's that same word. It's a word that, that doesn't describe natural fear. It's a word that describes something supernatural. Something other Worldly. You see, this centurion and the guards with him weren't just afraid, they were in awe of who Jesus was. As they saw Jesus die, they heard the words that he said, they saw all of creation seem to bow before him. They realized this is no ordinary man. And they came under conviction. They were overwhelmed with the fear of God. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of salvation. I I believe with all my heart, until we come to that point that we fear God for who He is, we can never experience God's love for what it is. And here were these, these battle Worn soldiers who were terrified because they realized that the one who was on that cross was no mere man. He was God. And then they made their confession. He was the Son of God. Now, how did they come to that confession? I believe the the only way that any of us can come to a confession like that, and and that is the Spirit of God touched their heart. The, The Bible says this in John When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict of sin the fear of God. He will convict of righteousness. What it says in Luke, he was a righteous man. And he will convict of the judgment that is to come. He is the Son of God. This centurion realized that that Jesus that was on that cross was was God in the flesh and somehow, some way, he was his savior and he had forgiven him and he confessed him that day publicly that he was giving his life to him. Now listen very carefully. If Jesus died to forgive the man and the men, Who nailed Jesus to the cross. And those men experienced salvation by his death. Then who in here cannot be forgiven by what he did? If Jesus forgave the centurion, he can forgive you. If Jesus forgave those guards, he can forgive you. If he forgave the men who nailed him and they experienced salvation that day, then you and I can as well. Now some people will say they didn't get saved. Let me say I believe with all my heart they did. That that phrase, Son of God, that's a phrase that is saying that there's something unique, there's something special. And in Luke's gospel it says they praised God, they worshipped God. You see, there were many that day who were afraid because of the earthquake, because of the darkness. Just because we're fearful doesn't mean we're saved. But fear, godly fear, leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. And that's what the centurion experienced that day. So what about you? I don't know where you're at this morning, but here's what I know regardless of where you're at, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how bad you've been, if that centurion experienced salvation that day, then you can experience salvation this day. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you come under the conviction of who Jesus is and you proclaim that He is the Son of God, He is God in the flesh, He is your Savior and Lord, He will save you. So what about it? Have you been saved? I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. And with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I want to ask you again, are you saved? Do you know you are? Because understand being baptized, regardless of how important that is, will not save you celebrating communion, regardless of how important that is, it will not save you. To be saved, you have to come under conviction of who Jesus is. And you've got to make a confession that He is the Son of God, your Savior and your Lord. And if you're here today and you've never made that confession, you've never come under conviction, but today you know you need Jesus then I want to encourage you right here, right now to give your heart and life to Jesus. You can do it by by praying this prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning knowing that I am a sinner, knowing that I need forgiveness. Forgive me for all of my sins. Come into my heart, come into my life and save me. Make me into a person that you want me to be. I know that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins. And I'm giving my all to you today. Thank you for hearing me, Jesus, and thank you for saving me.